Well, conspiracy theories are, are more popular today than they've ever been before. They're appealing, aren't they? When we see something unexplainable happen, we seek to explain it. From flat earthers to those who deny the moon landing to those who believe in a, a secret group of, of people or even reptilian people, yes, reptiles, the Illuminati are, are controlling the world. Conspiracy theories are everywhere. The internet certainly doesn't help with this. Anyone who believes anything can find a group of like-minded people to support what they already believe. Have, have you ever wondered, though, why people buy into conspiracy theories? See, our brains are wired in a way to see patterns. God has designed our brains to work to see patterns to remind us to run or to hide. For example, you're walking down the street at night and you turn into an alley and you see a strange figure that's holding a gun or what looks like a gun. What do you do? You turn around and go the other way. Your brain is wired to see the pattern. Gun, dark, strange man, danger. You see a bear, maybe that's even better to use here in East Tennessee. You see a bear, stop and get out of the way. Let the bear do whatever it wants to do except to eat you. That's what we try to do. Our brains are wired to see patterns. Bear equals danger. You see dark clouds in the sky, you know that a storm is coming. Our brains have been created to see patterns and that helps us to survive. But a problem arises when we see patterns that don't exist. This is where conspiracy theories come into play. Unconnected things that people somehow find ways to connect. You, you've seen the pictures or the images of people who have their entire wall covered with pictures and writings and scribblings. And, and they have the yarn connecting pictures. And, and, and they have all sorts of arrows drawn to things that really don't connect. Conspiracy theories have led to families breaking apart and even attempted murder. The danger of following a conspiracy theory is that it leads to false hope. You put so much of yourself into believing something, and then you realize that it doesn't exist, and so you're forced to do one of two things, either admit defeat and shame, or you double down and somehow say that you're the only one who's figured things out and everybody else is wrong or blind. See, in our passage today, Jude is dealing with what happens when a false teacher comes into a church and gains a following. Like a, a peddler of conspiracy theories, a false teacher is attractive and it's insightful. But like a conspiracy theorist, a false teacher always fails to deliver in the end. See, even in Jude's day, believing a lie was attractive just as it is today. Finding some hidden knowledge in the world is enough for some to give up all reason and all logic. And Jude's warning to the church is that there are people who are aiming to sway you away from following Christ. To convince you that their way is better. That some other way outside of what you've been taught and what you've been trained to do is better. And Jude said, watch out for them. And as we've seen through our study in Jude, and as we've seen in the world today, nothing's changed. There are still people today who use the word of God, who, who say that this is what God says, and they're attractive, they're charismatic, they, they gain a following, and it's all designed to gain a following not to Christ, but to them. 
Jude says, watch out for these people. This passage, the second to last unique section of this letter, is a kind of summary of what he's already said in the previous 16 verses. He's telling the church that there are false teachers all around and they're ready and willing to cause problems. That's what he's done so far, right? But there's something different about this passage. So far in the letter, Judas called out false teachers. He's shown how dangerous they are, and he's shown how the judgment of God is resting upon them, and it awaits people. That's the warning. But in this passage, he gives Christians something to do to protect themselves, to protect others, and to protect the church against these wolves who only want to see the church of Christ crumble. Each point in his sermon, each point in, in his letter that he's giving and in this sermon this morning is a point that Jude is trying to make. And each point reflects something that we can actually do to protect ourselves from falling into the trap of false teaching. Because there are traps all around us. And I can say this as a pastor and from experience, it is so incredibly easy for, for Christians to fall into this. The snares are all around us. The first point that Jude gives us is from 17 through 19. It's remember truth. See, I've emphasized how the Christian life is, a, is, is about knowledge of God, affections for him, and actions in the world. We study, we love, we go. But we can't really love, and we can't really go, unless we first know who God is. We can't ever accept the power of the gospel until we know what God has done for us. In other words, you just can't feel your way blindly through the Christian life. You can't work your way through the Christian life based on emotions. We must know who God is and what he expects of us before we can really feel any true affection for him. This is why so much of the New Testament is written to correct theology and to correct theological errors. Paul's letters are full of teaching because that is what fuels affection and fuels the action. That's why Jude is telling the church to remember the truth. Remember the apostles' teaching. Remember what they said. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They say to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's led me to think about something, and this may sound off, but it'll come back. Have you ever thought why you have school teachers? Have you ever thought why, why they exist? What purpose do school teachers serve? It's not just to give you information. It's not just to say, here's a fact, now memorize it and move on. I had a professor one time, in one of my first classes, he says this, he says, I'm not here to give you answers. I'm here to show you and give you the tools to find the answers for yourself. In other words, I'm not here to give you the answers. I'm pointing you in the direction to go find the answers. And here Jude is saying to the apostles, our teachers, that they are trustworthy and they have pointed us to the right answers. They've consistently and constantly showed how Jesus is the Messiah, how he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies, and how he is the only way to truth and life. Jude is saying this, trust what you've heard. Trust what you've read. 
not that these people are more trustworthy than you or me, but trust what you've read because it's from God. It's from the hand of man, but it's been given by inspiration to these men to write out what God was saying. These words from Jude are words from God. Trust what you've heard. Trust what you've read. Trust that long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. Trust. And in addition to trusting the teaching of the apostles, we must recognize the character of false teachers. Look at what Jude says in verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Jude is reminding us of who these people are. They may seem friendly, but they're foes. Jude says they are sensual. They live for the pleasures of this world, not for the kingdom of God. They indulge rather than sacrifice. They mock the standards of God and live for themselves. What else do they do? They cause division. It's so much easier to tear things down, isn't it? I, I think of my children with their Lego creations. Hours spent on building something. And they've got secret pathways and they've got doors and, and they've got this intricate roof system and they've got all these things happening in there. And all it takes is my little daughter to come in and pick it up and drop it. Destroy it. All it takes is for one of the older kids to come in and get mad at the younger ones and kick it. And their creation is done. It's a pile of rubble. It takes hours to build. It takes a second to destroy. And Jude is saying the same thing. He's saying that these false teachers come in and you may have built up for decades a healthy church. You may have built up a, a community that loves the Lord and preaches the word. A false teacher comes in and it doesn't take very long for that whole community to split in half. To break apart. They cause division. This is what false teaching does. Finally, Jude says that we can recognize false teachers by the fact that they do not possess the spirit. This has been controversial for some because we say, well, who are we to question the validity of someone's profession of faith? I can't read someone's heart. I don't know what they think. Jude says uh, that we can because we can see the fruit or the lack of fruit in someone's life in the fellowship. This is why we protect our membership. This is why we do interviews for members. We, we ask them to share our testimony when they want to join our church. We say, tell us about how you came to know Christ. This is why we like to watch people before they join our church. It's not that we're the FBI. We're just examining. Are you communicating with people? Are you finding fellowship? Are you serving? Or do you come in and sit grumpy and never talk to anybody? Are you seeking to build your own kingdom? Are you trying to gather a following before you've even submitted to membership? How can we really know this? How can we really know what someone's intentions are? We can't read minds, but we can examine fruit. We don't Im immediately admit people into membership before we know them because we want to make sure that their testimony is true. That's what membership is. Now, I'll say this. Have we been perfect? Absolutely not. No church is. But our aim is to guard membership so that our church becomes a place that is not attractive for spiritual predators. 
Just as much as we guard our kids' ministry so that bad people don't come in and do harm to our children, and we put fences up all around it to protect. We do the same thing spiritually to our church. We protect doctrine. We, we may go overboard, but it's a protection so that bad teachers come in, visit, and say, it's not going to happen here. This ground is, is infertile for me. We protect it. Jude is telling the church to remember the truth by trusting the teaching of the apostles, by recognizing the character of false teachers when they attempt to nest in our congregation. And then Jude moves to tell us to remain in God's love. And this is where he gives us a strategy that we need to persevere. Look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And again, Jude, throughout this book, he's giving lists, isn't he? So he gives a list here. He gives a list that we are to build ourselves up in the faith. This is the first thing. This means to grow spiritually. Drive around Alcoa or Maryville and you'll see that there's a lot of construction going on and you Roads are closed, there's, there's building projects going on, there's all sorts of stuff happening. And it's, it's not fun for those of us who live here, but, but all of us at some point, whether it's now or decades or centuries ago, we moved here. So there's a reason people want to live here. It's a wonderful place to live. But thousands upon thousands are planning to move here. So they're building infrastructure. They're building buildings. They're building roads. They're, they're tearing things out to make things better. Now, the question is, and we've seen this down the road, what happens when you build roads and nothing's there, right? The roads still serve a purpose. But what would happen if buildings were being built without roads or infrastructure? All of a sudden, you tear some trees down and you just plop a hotel in the middle of the, 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 the land. No roads to get there. Well, the hotel's not going to have any guests. It serves no purpose. You're, you're, you're building something for absolutely no reason. And we see this spiritually speaking, that we have structures and buildings that don't have the infrastructure to support it. We, when we build roads and infrastructure, we don't also just start putting up walls and buildings either. When, when the roads are there, when the infrastructure is there, we, you don't see buildings just go straight up. No, you have to tear the land down. You have to build a foundation before you can build the walls and the roof. Walls without a foundation won't stand very long. Now, there's a spiritual meaning in all of this. It's a story that we've seen with people. And you, you don't name names, but you can remember some. And maybe some of us have been part of that as well. People who have worked hard to build a structure of a building without having a foundation. They live what looks to be a Christian life. They participate in the church. They, 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 they stand with you, they, they celebrate with you, they, they have this outward shell of a building, but when the ground starts to tumble, the building falls. Why? There was no foundation. There was no support system. There was no structure to hold it up. I have a few friends that have gone through this process. I mentioned this before, it's called deconstruction. And, and what it is is people who are raised in the church start to tear one by one at things that they were raised to believe. 
Some of it's good. Get rid of it. Get rid of the trappings of, of American Christianity. I'm all for that. But the problem is some people keep going deeper and deeper. And so those little cracks in their foundation start to become uh, gaping holes. It's chasms that start to create. And, and I can almost see it a couple years before. And I say, that person's just going to completely deny the faith one day. And this is what's happened. I've seen it. We've watched it. I saw these cracks. They, they, they most often have built their faith on something that's not the gospel. What they did was, rather than building their foundation on the gospel, which is firm and secure, they've built their foundation on relationships. They've built their foundation on the cool place to go to worship. They've built their foundation on what church has a killer youth ministry or a killer kids ministry. They built their foundation on events. They've built their foundation on, hey, come hear this preacher, he's good. They've built their foundation on all of those things, and what happens? The preacher leaves, the kids' ministry crumbles, the youth ministry goes away, the cool church becomes a little older and not so cool, and everything just falls apart. Because their foundation was not on the gospel. I've seen it happen over and over again. Jude says, build yourself up on the foundation that is Christ. The foundation of our faith is the gospel. Why would it be anything else? And this is what's so striking to me. When I see that people have made things like advocacy and justice and other causes their primary aim. Now I'd say as a Christian, we ought to seek justice. We ought to exhibit kindness. It says it in scripture. But without the gospel, those things are simply just nice things to do. When one makes the gospel the center of their lives, to use Jude's terminology or his idea, the foundation of their lives, not only will they not tear apart their faith, they will work to make things better for the world, to point people to Christ. When the gospel is the center of who we are, we're driven to serve others, even when it's out of our own comfort zone. Jude says that this foundation, the gospel, is what holds everything that we do together. See, false teachers don't have this. And so we protect ourselves by focusing on the gospel. You may have never thought about it that way. We preach the gospel week in and week out, and it's not just to be an evangelistic church, which I hope we are in a way. We preach the gospel so that the foundation is constantly being checked and secured. Any crack, we're filling it in. Any structural issue, we're fixing it. Week in and week out, because the gospel is what holds us together. It's what gives us hope. Jude says next that we must pray in the spirit. I don't know about you, but when we pray, when I pray, I find that I have a strange peace. And when I pray regularly, I find that I'm regularly at peace. And when I don't pray, I find that I'm restless. This is strange. I can tell when I'm not depending on God through prayer and petition. I can tell when my prayer life is dull. Now keep in mind who Jude is writing to again. Jude is writing to Christians, groups of churches, and warning them about false teachers. It's basically like he's saying this. You want a church that's protected against false teaching and false preaching? Ground yourself in prayer. Depend on the Holy Spirit for power and wisdom. Finally, Jude says to wait for the mercy of Jesus. The Greek word here for wait can be translated, and I love this, can be translated as this. To expect the fulfillment of promises. Do you remember as a child, and I remember this, that my dad would say things like this. He would say, when I get home, we're going to go get ice cream. 
When I get home, we're going to go play catch. When I get home, we're going to do this or that. And I remember as a little kid, and, and you probably have done the same thing, you, you keep looking. So our street when I grew up was a, a long, straight street. And so every time I saw headlights turn that corner, I'm waiting, is that dad? And for a while, he would flicker his high beams on when he would turn that corner to let me know it's him. But I would wait and wait, and I was excited. I was anxiously awaiting my dad to come home to take me to go do something fun. And I waited because I knew that he was going to fulfill his word. I knew that when he said we're going to get ice cream, we're going to get ice cream. I anxiously awaited thinking about it. Why did I do this? Because my dad made me a promise. He gave me his word. I trusted him. Now, ice cream and playing catch is nice. But the promises of God are so much better. I know I struggle with this sometimes, and I'm guessing you do too, is that my spiritual life can be dull. We, we tend to do the same things over and over. We get into a rhythm of our lives, and, and we do those same things over and over. We, okay, got to get up, got to read my Bible. Okay, I do that every day for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I got to pray every day. Okay, I got that. I come to church every Sunday. Okay, I got that. Okay, I come to church on Wednesday night. I got that. I go to a community group. I got that. It's just a rhythm. And the more used we are to doing something, the, the bigger the possibility of it becoming dull. See, false teachers wait for that. They wait for you to get dull in your faith. They, they wait for those signs that you're waiting for something new and better. That you're waiting for something that's exciting. You ever wonder, and I've seen this as a pastor as well, why people cheat on their spouse? Those families that have protections, it doesn't happen. When you guard your own heart, when you protect yourself, when you build yourself around it, there's not a chance something's coming in. But you know when it happens? It happens in moments of weakness. When the ground and foundation starts to crack. The door gets open. And in our weakness, we do things that we know is wrong, but yet we still do it anyway. It's no wonder that sin knows where you're at. The devil knows where your weak spots are, and the devil will attack you at those weak spots. And Jude is saying the same thing in the church, that, that the church has weak spots. Every single church does. And when those cracks start to form, guess who comes in? People who are seeking to take advantage of you. People who are seeking to take advantage of you and your family and this church. And Jude says the antidote is to build yourself up in the faith. Pray in the spirit and wait for the fulfillment of promises already made. So those are the three things that we do. And those God's, though God's word is for all of us, we know that God works through groups of people throughout the Bible. Yet those things seemed a little bit more personal. Yes, they were command to all Christians, but they're things we have to do ourselves consciously. Verses 22 and 23 look outward, though. So you're, you're, you've been looking inward. Protect yourself. Protect your heart. Guard the truth. Guard the church. And then Jude moves to something to do outward. Listen to these words. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. 
to show others to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh Judas in essence saying this you've already shored up yourself you've already corrected those things protect yourself now go out and protect others and in this it's interesting he gives three types of people who are in a bad situation the first one is this and this is important for the order of this Jude says have mercy on those who doubt the idea of all of this happening is that if, a, if an ancient walled city to use an example if there's a hole in the wall that walled city serves no purpose maybe you can think of it in this way what do you hear from a flight attendant when you board every plane if cabin pressure decreases put the mask on yourself before you put it on your children right put it on yourself first then you can take care of others if you put it on your kids you may pass out and then everybody's in trouble the idea behind what Jude is saying is protect yourself protect the church guard it and then be ready to go out and grab others from the fire and the first thing that he talks about is mercy on those who doubt, those who are inching closer and closer to this fire. They're in danger. They're in danger. And, and I've seen this happening. People who doubt, people who have started to deconstruct their faith, people who have, have, have given up on the local church because they've, they've seen things happen in the local church. So they say, I, I love Jesus, I've given up on the church, but I still love Jesus. And Jude says, do these things. Rescue those who doubt. He's referring to those people who've bought into the lies of false teachers. Often it's new believers or, or those who are less mature. Those who are mature must do all they can to protect those who are less mature, but also to rescue them from the clutches of a false teacher. Rescue them, have mercy on them, spiritually take care of someone. The love of Jesus that he gave to those of us who have come to know him. It binds our wounds. It gives us ointment on our sores. And Judas saying the same thing. Go after those people who have strayed away a little. After all, we've received mercy and grace from God, so now we go do the same for the suffering. The second thing Jude says is that we are to rescue those who are in the fire. This is more serious. These are people who are not doubting. These are, these are not people with questions. These are people who are literally standing at the edge about to fall into the fire. Spiritually speaking, they are headed for hell. Think of this as some kind of spiritual intervention. It's, it's kind of a last-ditch effort to try to rescue someone in, from destruction and bring them back to the church. Many of us have had family members and friends who we know that have walked this path. They've gone beyond the doubting. They've gone full steam ahead, and they are leaning over the edge, ready to fall. And Jude progresses into something even more serious with the third thing. He says to rescue those who are stained. He writes this, to others, so not just people who are doubting, not just people who are on the edge, but people who are already there, people who are already burning, people who are already suffering in their sin. And, and, and if they don't make a change, if they do not come to know Christ right now, they are destined to stay there. And he says this, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. 
This is the worst shape. Everything about them has been defiled. Everything. Jude is talking about those who are not Christians. They are godless people who are, to use his words, are so filthy that their clothes are stained by their flesh. So bad that they don't even recognize what they've done to themselves. I struggled with this, whether I should share this, but I think it fits because it fits. Years ago, I made a comment on social media, and I got a, a message back from someone who, a, a woman or a girl, she's a woman then, and she, she was a girl when I knew her, who was part of a youth group that I was part of. She was in high school, I think a junior or senior, and, and I was in my mid-20s, and um, then, and then fast forward 10 years later, we're, we were friends on Facebook, and, but I never talked to her outside of a couple times at church, and so 10 years later, I get this message from her, and and um, she starts to comment and disagree, and we go back and forth. And then all of a sudden, um, she says out of the blue, um, you know I do pornography now. And I said, oh, okay. So I pleaded with her. I begged her. I said, give her everything that I could think of and everything that you would think of. She justified it. I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm making a good living. People treat me well, which obviously they don't. But, but they treat they, all of these things that, that you would expect from someone who is completely engulfed in a sinful existence, right? Someone who is not only just living in sin, but embracing it and celebrating it. And, and, and I, I begged her, I, I pleaded with her to stop and come to Jesus. She rejected me and she, we all both moved on. And I thought about this as I was reading this, and, and, and I, I tried to be gentle with her, but at the same time, I kept my distance. Why? Because Jude says that their corruption is so rotten that they will infect anyone that they can. To bring it into their world, to bring someone out of a normal life and bring them into a life that's defined by depravity. One commentator wrote this. Love them, show mercy, but don't get too close, for even their clothes can defile you if you're not careful. They are carriers of a, sin, a spiritual disease. Sin has broken out all over them. We may still be able to reach them and rescue them, but we cannot get too close, nor can we become like them. With this third group, this, this woman that I know or knew, we love them, we show mercy to them, but we distance ourselves because otherwise we will be corrupted by them. Now some of you may be thinking, well that... You can't handle what Jude's written in this letter. This is a lot to take in, that, that we are not spiritual soldiers, that we're not ready for battle. We're, we're not equipped, and, and I understand that. I get that. It's not easy to be on the lookout, to be ready. And it's not easy to show mercy to people who you may feel don't deserve it. But the beauty of the gospel is that God has given you the ability to do these things with joy. And even though you can never do these things perfectly, God has not held that against you. As for all those who follow Christ, we've been given reminders that we're not good enough, but Jesus is. And we've been given his power and his strength to go out and do these things that Jude is saying to protect the church. There is absolutely no way that any of us can in and of ourselves protect this church, spiritually speaking. None of us have the power to do it in us. But with the power of Christ, we can do it, and we can do it joyfully. We can love others joyfully. We can give mercy to others joyfully. We can protect the church joyfully. 
And it's not because of our own strength. It's because Jesus has been holding us up the entire time. It's not about doing good things to please God, but rather we do good things because God has given us a new heart. Now, if you're not a Christian, this may all sound weird, culty. You're kind of circling the wagons and, and you're protecting each other and you're doing, no, it's not that. It's that Jesus has given us a job, a task. He's given us a, a purpose to exist. And he's given us the church to, to hold us together and accountable. And he's saying, take care of it. You're stewards of what I've given to you. So we take it seriously. And so if you're not a Christian, I, I want to tell you that this gospel, the thing that we're talking about protecting, the thing that we're talking about valuing, this gospel, the good news that Jesus has given us a way to be forgiven and redeemed is what you need more than anything else. God created you for a purpose, and that purpose is to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that can only be done when you belong to him. Now, you may be one of the three categories that we see in Jude. You may be a doubter. You may be someone who is a Christian, but you're kind of questioning everything. You're, you're inching further and further away, and you may have given up on the idea of church. You're saying this isn't, doesn't serve a purpose. This doesn't meet a need in my life. And to you, I'd say this. God extends mercy to you. He's promised you that he would bring you in as a royal son and daughter. Or you may be one who's bought into the lies of a false teacher. To you, I pray that this message from Jude snatches you away from the fire, the fire that promises to consume you. The dangers that await you are deadly. Turn around, repent, run to the loving arms of Jesus, and he will embrace you and clothe you in his perfect righteousness. Or you may be one that's gone so far that you think you're beyond saving, that you've done too much. You've committed too, too many bad sins. You've, you've done too many bad things that, yeah, I, just, I think I'm just gone. I'm too far out of that reach. Maybe you don't even realize that you need saving at all. This is the, the issue that I faced with my, my former friend, that she didn't think she needed it. I don't need to be saved. I'm happy. Isn't this what, what life is about? Is, is about pleasure and happiness. To you, if that's you, I hope you're shown mercy. I pray that you see the folly of your sin and turn to the one who created you. I pray that whatever it is that have pulled you to embrace depravity will melt away and you will experience the, the joy that can only come from relationship with Christ. See, Judas talked a lot about false teachers in his letter. He's talked about the dangers that we're in when we give into ourselves to false teaching. We've seen that false teachers seek to destroy the church, that Jesus has united us and kept us safe, and that we are to be caretakers of his church. But we've also seen, and maybe this is something you may have missed, but I hope you don't miss this, we've seen that no one is too far out of the reach of Christ to be saved. We, we've seen Jude pleading, but he's still saying there's still hope. If there's hope, there's still even an inch of hope that we can grasp onto that that person or us can still be saved. The blood of Jesus is enough to cover every sin that we've ever committed. It's enough to save the worst of the worst. It's enough to save you and me. And it's enough to save even the false teacher. False teachers aren't too far gone. Jude says, 
get rid of them and stay away from them, but they still can come to know Christ, the true Christ. So whether you've bought into false teaching or you've taught it yourself, you're not beyond saving. Hope still awaits you. I want to close with the song that we sing here at our church. Come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, not a fitness of fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 